You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And if you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles uh, and the usherettes. And uh, just raise your hand and uh, they'd be happy to give you a Bible. You're going to enjoy the study with a Bible in your lap. Way more than if you sit there without one. Uh, We're a Bible teaching church. We're going through the Bible verse by verse. And we're in our little series, a sub-series of the book of Matthew. We've been going through the whole book of Matthew. We're in a sub-series in the book of Matthew titled The Eleventh Hour. The return of King Jesus. And today will be the last message in that sub-series. Uh, have you enjoyed the sub-series? Yes. Uh, I hope that you have. I've got a lot of feedback and thanks for the emails and everything. Uh, we're going to finish it up today. Uh, let me kind of set the stage of how it all came to pass. Um, Jesus uh, is going to the cross on Friday. At the time of this writing, it's Tuesday, maybe Wednesday at the latest. So he knows he's going to the cross in just a couple days. He just finished his last public teaching in the temple of God. He will never teach in that temple again until he returns. And having finished in the temple, he leaves, goes across the Kidron Valley, which is only just a short distance away, and goes up to the Mount of Olives. And there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, wow, Jesus, great day, I mean, great teaching. Do you see the temple and how beautiful it is, how magnificent it is? And it was one of the wonders of the world in that day. Uh, Herod had poured millions and millions and millions of dollars into constructing this temple. It was stunning. It was the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. It was, it was glorious. And Jesus shocked them when he said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another. It's kind of like going to the White House and going, man, pretty magnificent, right? He says, yeah, it's nothing, man. It's all going to be destroyed. And they were like, what? Are you kidding And sure enough, that was fulfilled literally in 70 AD. Rome burned the temple. The gold of the temple melted through all the rocks. The looters came and took every rock apart, brick by brick, stone by stone, to to get all the gold out. And Jesus' words were fulfilled literally. The temple, completely desolated, remains that way to this day. And so the disciples, they heard Jesus teach this, and they were shocked. And they thought, in order for that to be true, it must be the end of the world. The end of the world must be coming. And so they asked Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of the end of the world and the sign of your return? And on that, Jesus then launches into the private sermon that he gave just to the disciples, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, what we've been covering in the 11th hour series, uh, the return of King Jesus. And there in that he, uh, he teaches, he says, hey, after the temple is destroyed, don't be deceived, the end is not yet. There 
will be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. There'll be famines and pestilences. He said all of these things are the beginning, and he used a very unusual word. He says they're the beginning of birth pangs or of labor pains. And then the end will come. And Jesus was teaching, he says, just like the labor pains of a woman, they're going to increase in frequency and increase in intensity as the last days come. And we looked and we saw when we began the series, we looked at the labor pains and sure enough, we see they are increasing. They are becoming more uh, frequent. They're increasing in intensity and in frequency, just like birth pains. And we looked at the charts of all that, the pestilences, COVID, you ever heard of it? Uh, they, uh, the earthquakes, the, you know, all the different things, right? It's all, it's there, right? And uh, by the way, uh, we are waiting for birth pains to start also in my family. My son Ryan and, and my daughter-in-law Lauren, she's due on the 13th, uh, just a couple of days. And uh, we are waiting. Every, every text I get, I'm like, oh, no, not yet. Oh, no, not yet. Uh, and uh, anyway, Jesus says that's where it's going to be. Uh, there's going to be this, uh, uh, these birth pains that come. And they will launch us into the tribulation period on planet earth. Seven year tribulation period. It will be the darkest time of all human history. Jesus and the Old Testament prophets said there will never be a time like that ever in the history of the world. That has ever been. You think the Holocaust was bad? You think Pol Pot was bad? You thought the Khmer Rouge was bad? You think Stalin was bad? Nothing compared to what... Uh, the tribulation period will be uh, it'll be the darkest time on planet earth difficult times for planet earth it'll last for seven years it'll begin when this antichrist sounds evil sounds dark don't be confused uh, antichrist means instead of Christ this man who has in incredible charisma incredible uh, or, uh, ortals, <laughs> he's an incredible orator. Uh, uh, all kinds of charisma. Uh, incredibly intelligent. Uh, just winsome and dazzling will come onto the scene. And he will make a peace treaty with Israel and all the nations of the world. And he will say all religions are okay. Everything's good. We all worship the same God. Kumbaya. And the world will love him. In the middle of that peace treaty, at the three and a half year mark, he will break that peace treaty against Israel. The Bible, Jesus said, he will do something called, he will set up the abomination of desolation. That's a mouthful, but it simply means this. An abomination is something God hates. Something that's radically offensive to God. It's an abomination that will cause utter desolation on the earth or total destruction on the earth what is the abomination of desolation oh we looked at it the antichrist will set up an image of himself a statue of himself he's going to tell the world i know we said all every whatever god you want to worship is fine but i want you to know something i am that god and he will give life and do miracles he'll give life and movement and and that statue will actually move and speak and all the world will go 
Wow, you're amazing. Look at the signs. Look at the wonders. Look at the miracles. And they will worship him. And he will cause all to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads that they cannot buy or sell without it. It's the abomination of desolation. And it leads ultimately to the battle of Armageddon. Because at the abomination of desolation, the Jews will not worship him. They will not take the mark. And the Antichrist will pour out all of his wrath against the Jews and try to annihilate them. The reason? If he can remove the Jewish people that God has a covenant with that has not been fulfilled yet, he can break God's word and he can have a future, right? Uh, If he can break God's word, then God's word is not true. So he wants to wipe out all of the Jews and he will deceive all the nations and all of the nations will come against Israel for the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Nevertheless, for the elect's sake, for Israel's sake, those days will be shortened. And I'm going to come back. <clears throat> and so uh, he then does something interesting in uh, this Olivet Discourse. He gives us a parenthetical teaching. He says, now understand, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in this end time. What does he mean as it was in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, he says, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, partying, uh, searching social media, going to Vegas, going to Palm Springs, hooking up, going to bars, going to the beach, going to the pottery games. Uh, Some of these things are okay. I'm not saying they're all bad. Uh, They're... Incredible game Wednesday night or Friday night, whatever it was. I mean, I'm, my goodness, don't get me started. Uh, but anyway, they'll be doing all these things and they won't even be aware that judgment is coming on the earth. In the days of Noah, they were doing all these things and then God's judgment came and it was too late. They missed it. And Jesus said, it'll be the same way when the tribulation period comes. The tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And just as in the days of Noah, everybody will be doing all these things and be totally unaware of the impending judgment that is about to fall. That's where we are today. Secondly, it'll be like the days of Noah because what did God provide in the days of Noah? He poured out his wrath on the earth, but he provided a way to be delivered from that wrath, from his wrath. It was an ark. And God is going to provide an ark, if you will, at the end of time for his people. It's called the rapture of the church. We won't all fit in a wooden ark, so it's the rapture of the church. Jesus is our ark. Uh, It was a, uh, the ark was a picture of this, if you will. Uh, And and, uh, he's going to take us up Uh, uh, and deliver us from the judgment God's wrath is poured out on the earth and then after Jesus taught all that he did something very fascinating he gave two parables and I'm recapping all of this because I want you to see the whole I want you to see the 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 completion of this amazing teaching this all of it discourse that he gave to the disciples he finishes all this teaching and then he says now be wise, right? And he gave the parable of ten virgins. 
Ten virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom. And in the story, what were they? Five were wise and five were foolish. And the purpose of that parable was simply this. Be ready and be watching. For the bridegroom is coming at an hour that you do not expect. It might be today. Wouldn't it be cool if we didn't even get out of church? We were just... <laughs> be ready, he says. Be watching. After that parable, he gives another parable. The next parable, the parable of what? The talents. And the thesis of that parable? Don't waste your life. Be investing in the things of the kingdom. I've given you gifts and talents and abilities. Be using them when I come to the glory of God. Eternal rewards hang in the balance. We looked at that last week. And now today, he finishes all of that with this teaching. The title of the message, The Judgment of the Nations. Jesus' judgment of the nations. You see, Jesus is going to rapture his church before the tribulation period. The world goes through the tribulation period. Jesus is going to come back in glory. And then what about all the people on the earth? Well, that's what he tells us. He's going to bearing judgment on the nations. Someone came to me after first service and go, that was scary. I'm like, oh, not what I wanted to hear. Don't let this scare you. Let this instruct you, right? Um, uh, It's good for us to see these things. It's good for us to know these things. It gives us wisdom on how to walk in in life. So with that long and rambling introduction, let's jump into the text. Are you ready? Uh, Matthew 25, 31. By the way, looking at now the, um, the systematic teaching of Jesus in this Olivet Discourse, are you not amazed? I mean, he's amazing. He's amazing, the instruction he gives. And let's look at how he finishes. This will be our last talk in the 11th hour series. And then we'll jump back into uh, the Unexpected Messiah series and finish the book of Matthew. So Matthew 25, 31. If you're there, put your finger on it and give me a big amen. Amen. All right, I love that. I love that you have Bibles open, uh, pen in hand. Way to, you guys are an amazing church. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. Oh, I love this verse. Some great stuff here. I want you to circle the Son of Man. Uh, I love that. By the way, Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. A lot of titles he has. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. He's, well, a lot of titles we could give him. The title that he loved the most for himself was the Son of Man. Can you tell me why? Why? He uses that title for himself more than any other. Any other? Can you tell me why? Why did he love that title? What's that? Oh, really good, Carol. Because he became a man. Why is that? Why does he love the title for that? Any other ideas? I couldn't hear you. Sorry. Ah, okay, okay. Oh, what's that? So he could identify with us. He loved the title because it revealed his heart. It revealed his mission. I want you to know something. God didn't take on 
human form. As if he came to the world and took on human form for a little while. Uh, that would be incredibly humbling for the creator to take on human form. But he did not do that. He did something far bigger than that. God became a man. Mind-boggling. And to show his heart in this mission, to show John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he himself would become a man, and go to a cross to take the punishment of our sin, that whoever would call upon him would have eternal life, to show the love of his mission, to show John 3.16, he referred to himself more this way than any other way, the Son of Man. And here's what he says, when the Son of Man... Uh, comes in his glory. It, it, it affirmed his incarnation, his identity with man, his sacrifice. When he comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. Yeah, we're getting that word. It's the, it's the image we see. He's coming, you know, just beautifully. All the nations will be gathered before him. The word nations is ethnos in the Greek. Greek. It's actually in plural, which is ethne. Uh, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand this hand of favor but the goats on his left hand he's going to gather all the nations and he's going to bring judgment between them. Look what he does, verse 34. Verse 34 is a pregnant verse, by the way. Uh, then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. Amazing passage. I want to unpack a couple things with you on this verse, and then we'll move on. I want you to see three things right here. Number one, put a little number one on verse 34 by the words, the king. The first time Jesus has called himself, uh, others have said it, others have given him the time. First time he has said it, the king, speaking of himself, the king will come. Uh, there is a kingdom coming, is the first thing I want us to see there. He says, come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Uh, the second thing I want us to see right there, put a little number two right there by inherit. G there's a kingdom coming, and number two, Jesus will reign as the sovereign king. Jesus will be the sovereign king reigning over all things. He says, inherit, and he decides who is uh, going to inherit the kingdom and who isn't going to he is the sovereign king all over all of it there's a kingdom coming and Jesus is the king and the third one I love this oh I love this inherit the kingdom prepared for you and I want you to read these next words prepared for you let me hear you say that with me again prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let's say it again, everybody together. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The third point I want you to see is this kingdom 
was God's desire from the beginning of time. This kingdom that is coming was God's desire for you from the beginning of time. Sometimes we look at the world and we get distressed, we get depressed. We see all the sin, we see all the hardship, we see all the suffering that is in the world and we wonder, why God? How can this be? A child dies and we go, oh Lord, oh, such pain, why? We long for justice. We long for righteousness. We long for peace. Instead, we get terrorism and crime and murder and addiction and drugs and perversion and evil. And we're bombarded by cruelty and all these things. And we, we, we just long for it. We just know that they got this. Why is this so messed up? And we realize this world is under a horrid curse of sin. It is inflicted with all kinds of evils. And it was inflicted with all this evil by Adam and Eve. And we see the, the trauma and the, the turmoil that it brings. And what's interesting, at the same time, we also see glimpses of the glory. There's sometimes we look and we just go, oh, that's so beautiful. And we, we hear of romance and love and marriage. And we think, oh, it could be so amazing, right? And we get glimpses of the good. And yet we're also aware of how fallen it really is all at the same time. And here's what I want you to know. This world is not what God created for us. It's not the kingdom that God prepared for us from the beginning of time. A kingdom that would be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A kingdom where the lion and the lamb would lay down together. A kingdom where we would walk and talk with God on the cool of the day. A kingdom where God would be so near to us that whatever we asked, it, it would be done. And that there would be righteousness on the earth. This world is not the kingdom that God prepared. And notice what he says he says hey that kingdom is coming and it's a kingdom that God prepared for you from the foundation of the earth God is going to restore what was broken it's a kingdom of uh, righteousness a kingdom of peace a kingdom of love a kingdom of unity and it is all to the praise and glory of King Jesus and he is the only king that can bring it in the kingdom was given to Adam, rule the earth and have dominion over it. And Adam and Eve squandered the kingdom and uh, handed it over to Satan. And Satan is now the usur usurped king of this, er of this age, right? The God of this age, the Bible calls him. And it's tragic. And there is this kingdom coming. It is the kingdom that God designed from the beginning. It is the one that he wants us to have. All of the Old Testament prophets spoke of it. Uh, over and over they spoke of it. It's why the disciples kept asking Jesus, are you now going to set up your kingdom? Because the prophets had spoken of it. It was glorious and they were longing for it. Just like you and I are. Oh, I want to look at what one of the prophets spoke of it, how they spoke of it. It's spectacular. Isaiah 65 on your screens. Uh, let me hear you. This is going to be a long verse, by the way. Are you ready? Are you okay with a long verse? 
Let me hear you read in a unified voice. Let me hear. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Let's pause there. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to bow. It's going to become a great valley. All the nations of the earth will be gathered to that valley. Jesus is going to judge them. He's going to bring cataclysmic changes to the earth. Uh, there's going to be a river that flows from Jerusalem down into uh, all the deserts. The deserts will blossom like a rose. Uh, the, 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 the land will be healed. The Dead Sea will actually become alive again as this water enters into it. It's going to be just tremendous geographical changes on the earth. And he says, I'm going to create a new heavens, a new earth. The former one won't even be remembered. Uh, read with me. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Yeah, right now, Jerusalem is the hot spot of trouble on the earth because there is an enemy who's against God's plans. But the day is coming when Jesus is going to restore Jerusalem and it is going to be the bright spot on the earth. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will be ruling and reigning bodily, physically, personally from Jerusalem and he will take joy in his people and his people will take joy in him. Just like the Garden of Eden, walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. Let's read the rest of the verse. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For a child shall die 100 years old. Do you see what that's saying? He's saying, hey, I'm going to restore a long life. During the millennium, during the millennial reign with King Jesus, people are going to live a thousand years of age. And no, no more will children die. As a matter of fact, someone's going to die at 100 years old. They're going to, you know, they get hit by a car or whatever. And they're going to say, oh, poor guy. He was just a kid. 100 years old. They're going to call him just a kid, right? Because we've got a long life. Uh, let's go on. Let's read the rest of the verse. They shall build houses and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people be. In other words, just as trees live for hundreds and hundreds of years, so will it be for my people. And my elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. Here this passage is telling us, no more will you build something and someone else come in and take it from you. No more will you declare bankruptcy. No longer will you have a plant a field and not be able to eat the fruit of it. It's going to be uh, just, you know, prosperous and, and, and uh, everything will be uh, a gift from the Lord uh, to his people. Let's go on the rest of the verse. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. Let's stop there. I love that verse. <laughs> 
No longer will we bring forth children who fall into addiction at teenage years, who get into trouble at teenage years. No longer will girls who are young and beautiful get their identity and their worth the wrong ways. No longer will be will there be, you know, just polluted minds in a world that is so corrupt. No longer you won't bring forth children for trouble, uh, for they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Read with me. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Wow. We will have God in our midst and we will be able to call upon him and he will hear. He will deliver. He is with us. Uh, Go on. Rest of the verse. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The animal kingdom is going to be taken from a carnivorous animal kingdom, all brought back to herbivores, and the lion and the lamb will lie down together, and all of nature will be at peace. This is the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. Oh, how glorious and how we long for the day. This is what Jesus said we are to pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth just like it is in heaven. And this is the kingdom that God had prepared for you, Jesus said, from the beginning of time. Oh, that we would grasp. Oh, that we would understand. Oh, that we would fathom. What is the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of the love and the plans and the future and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? World without end. Amen? Uh, just amazing. We come back to our passage here in Matthew 20, uh, 25. That was verse 34. How incredible it is, those three things that he gives us there. And look what he says. He says, For I was hungry. Come and receive this kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. I want you to circle these words. Hungry. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. Circle that. And you gave me drink. I was stranger. Circle that. And you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty or give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren. Uh, there it is, uh, the Son of Man again, right? My brethren. You did it. Say it with me. You did it to me. As much as you did it to the very least of one of these, you did it to me. Here we see what God is looking for. Here we see what Jesus loves. Here we see what real faith is. Pure and undefiled religion before God, the book of James tells us, is to visit the widows and the orphans and those in need. In other words, to meet the needs of any and all who are just hurting. And here we learn of what Jesus calls love and what Jesus calls faith. 
And he says, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus takes it personally. I know that when someone blesses my wife, oh, they bless my soul. When someone blesses my kids, oh, they bless me. When someone hurts one of my kids, oh, man, right? Uh, and here we see the heart of King Jesus here. And notice what love is and what love does. Love meets needs. And then what did they say? They said, when did we do that? Because love keeps no record of the good deeds it does. It just does it out of the overflow of the abundance of the heart, right? When did we do these things? And Jesus says, oh, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Uh, verse 41, then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. How long is everlasting, by the way? The everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never created for man. It was created for Lucifer and the angels who followed him. And yet if we reject Jesus' salvation, it is where uh, you go to be with the uh, uh, with, uh, with the devil. It was prepared for him. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. Thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. You didn't care. You didn't minister to any of the needs. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and, you, and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison? And did not minister to you. It's interesting that the goats have the same parallel question as the sheep. When did we see you as we drove by with our air conditioning on and our windows rolled up and didn't take care of the needs of the, the, those who were hurting? Uh, and he will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into everlasting. He uses that word again. Uh, it's not annihilation. Uh, it's eternal separation from God. And uh, uh, they will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Uh, a lot of personal application that we can pull from that. And I'll draw a little bit from that in just a moment. But I want to bring us back to the context, to the purpose of the teaching. Jesus teaching about the end of the age. Jesus teaching about what's going to happen in the tribulation period. Jesus teaching about what's going to happen when he returns. And here we're reminded, we're told again, that Jesus is coming again in radiant glory. He's coming again in radiant glory. In chapter 24, he told us when that's going to be. He's coming at the end of the tribulation period. We know exactly how long the tribulation period is. In days, in weeks, in months, and in years. The Bible gives it to us verbatim. We know exactly. He's coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And he's coming back in all of his glory. And this is our blessed hope. And I want you to know that the return of Jesus is what strengthens our soul. It gives us strength and perseverance as we can become easily depressed and, and confused when we look at this world that is collapsing all around us. 
When we see all of the corruption that is going on in churches that are no longer teaching the Bible, but now using the Bible to proclaim a false gospel, a prosperity message, we can get discouraged and depressed. We can get discouraged and depressed when we look at all the corruption that is in government. We can get discouraged and depressed when we look at all the propaganda we're being fed. I've never seen such propaganda as long as I've been alive as what I'm seeing right now. Is it not astonishing? Why not let people decide what we want to do, right? Why are we being given propaganda to be manipulated? I did something interesting this week. I went online and I just wanted to see how things were progressing uh, with the coronavirus vaccine. And by the way, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, okay? Uh, beware of putting tinfoil on your head and getting too extreme on things. Uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I think it's everybody's personal decision if they want to get a vaccine or if they don't. There's nothing wrong with using science to create a vaccine to try to help bring health Nothing wrong with that, right? That's just good. But we should have a choice if we want to receive it or not. And we should have all the information at our disposal so we can make our own decision about the path we want to go on it, right? And so I went online and I did a little search. Uh, ramifications, uh, side effects, uh, negative effects of the coronavirus vaccine. And you know what I got on Google? Page after page of how the vaccine is safe and anybody who says it's not is an idiot and don't know what they're talking about. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I thought, well, let me do another search. So I typed in side effects of the chickenpox vaccine. <laughs> and guess what I got on that? A well-balanced hey, the chicken pox vaccine is safe and it has benefits, and, and, but there are some side effects. Here's what they are. Here's what you need to know. Now you decide. Why not any of that on the coronavirus vaccine? The reason is, is because there is corruption like never before. And we are being given a propaganda. And we can look at all of this and we can grow weary. We can see all the crime and all the moral depravity and the, the lack of personal res responsibility that is, that is, we're all victims now. We're all being told, hey, you are a victim. And if you're a woman, you're a victim. And if you're a person of color, you're a victim. And if you're an Asian, you're a victim. Everybody's a victim. And, and, and there's no personal responsibility. If there's hard times, man, you get free money and there's free... Like, what happened to personal responsibility? What happened to just the veracity being, being saying, hey, look, here's life. Figure it out. Take responsibility, right? What's happened? Well, we can get discouraged by all that. And when we look at the world, it can be, you know, daunting. But when we look and when we see the blessed hope of Jesus' return, when that is our focus, we have joy, we have peace, and we have vision and purpose. And so Jesus reminds us, hey, the king is, is coming. He is coming to restore. He is coming again in radiant glory. And you want to be ready when he comes. Jesus will come instantly. And when he does, I want you to know something. The opportunity to receive Jesus as my Messiah by faith 
will be over. It will be over. Did you catch that? Faith in Jesus will be a thing of the past. Because everyone will see Jesus in all of his glory. And there will no longer be an opportunity for unbelievers to be saved by faith. That day will be gone. Jesus will return bodily, physically, in glory. And so what that means is, is that today is the day of salvation. And if you are here today and you are living in sin, and you are living for yourself, Jesus is not your Lord. That means he's not your authority. He's not the one calling the shots in your life. He's not the king of your life. You're the king of your life. You're doing what you want. If you're doing that and you think, yeah, I know, maybe later I'll get right with God. I thought that way at one point in my life. Yeah, that stuff's probably true, but I don't really give a rip. I want to sin. I'll get right with God later. Hey, you are playing Russian roulette. It is the 11th hour, and the time is at hand. And when Jesus returns, the opportunity to be saved by faith will be gone forever. Today is the day of salvation, and you will be rise to say, Wow, God, I'm amazed that you love me, that you will be willing to forgive me of my sin. If I just believe that you are God who became a man and went to a cross in my place that I might have eternal life. If you're here today and you're not right with God, you're the king of your life. Do not leave here without saying, Lord, I surrender. I want to give my life to you. Jesus says, whoever calls upon me will be saved. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Bring your life to him and he will give you eternal life. It's his, his desire to do so. It's a free gift. So Jesus is coming again in radiant glory. And when he comes, I've got good news. Guess who he's bringing with him? He's bringing all of the angels, it tells us here. But the rest of scripture tells us not only is he bringing all the angels, guess who he's bringing? He's bringing us with him. Here's a couple of verses for you. Colossians 3 on your screens. Let me hear you read this. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, his coming will be so bright, it'll be seven times brighter than the noonday sun. Jesus says, listen, in Matthew 24, he says, listen, if anybody tells you, here's the Christ, don't believe him. For when I come, nobody will have to tell you. It'll be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. Every eye will see, every tongue will confess, all of the world will know. Uh, it'll be uh, the glorious radiant appearing of Christ, and the church of Jesus Christ will come with him. Uh, how amazing. Not only did uh, Paul speak of it in the Colossians, but Jude also spoke of it in the book of Jude. Take a look, look at this, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, read with me. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And you may say, that doesn't sound like very many. Ten thousands in the Greek. The Greek word was myriads of myriads. It's an innumerable number. It was translated that way. It just means an innumerable number. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Wow. All of scripture aligns. He's coming back at a second coming to execute judgment. Look what he says. To execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly. Among them in all their ungodly deeds. Which they have committed in an ungodly way. And all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Wow. The tribulation period is God's wrath 
poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And Jesus will come back at the end of that tribulation in all of his glory to judge all of the people who lived through the tribulation period. And he tell, Jesus tells us here that he will judge all of the nations at his second coming. And this is the thesis of this passage that we're in today. This is the point Jesus is making. He's going to judge all the nations. The Greek word is ethnos. It's in plural, which is ethnis. And it means all the nations of the earth. And the way the Greek language is written, it talks about all the nations, but they will be judged individually one by one. And so very fascinating. Jesus returns, and I want you to think about when Jesus comes back in all of his glory, what's going on on the earth in the tribulation period when Jesus comes back in all of his glory? Who's, what is it? Armageddon. It's the battle of Armageddon. All nations against Israel... And uh, the Bible said, Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, meaning nuclear warfare. Uh, not one person would be alive. And yet Jesus said, yet for the elect's sake, I will do it. He comes back and he stops the battle of Armageddon right in the zenith of the battle, right when the world is going to be totally destroyed. He stops it. He comes back to the earth and he gathers all the nations before him at Jerusalem and the nations will all come individually before him and know this, they're not coming to vote. They're not coming to decide if they want Jesus as king or not. They're coming to be judged by King Jesus. The book of Joel writes about this, the valley of decision it calls it, right? It's not their decision, it's Jesus' decision in that day of judgment, right? And he's going to judge all of them on that day. And there's only two camps. You're either judged as a sheep, as righteous, or as, by unrighteous, or as unrighteous, as a goat. And this is the divine separation. We are so arrogant. We are so prideful. We think that we are the judge. Well, I don't know if I believe in God or not. Well, I don't know if I believe the Bible. Well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Hey, I want you to know something. You are not the judge, and God is not on trial. You've got things backwards. And we are going to stand before him. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. And this divine courtroom will be set. The whole world will be on trial. And Jesus is the reigning judge who is judging on the throne. And he will judge every man that is still alive on the earth who came through the tribulation period. The uh, Bible tells us that billions with a B, billions are going to die. At least 33% of the world is going to die. And it's probably more like 50%. Uh, as, as we read Revelation. Right now there are uh, 7 billion people on the earth. That's 3.5 billion people are going to die in the tribulation period. Uh, and he's going to bring them all before him and he's going to judge every single, every single one. The Bible says of Jesus that his eyes are like a refiner's fire. And they see into the depth of our soul. And there is nothing that is hidden or naked. We all stand naked before him. There's nothing hidden in his sight. Uh, Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 4 on your screens. Take a look at this. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. He knows us. 
And this judgment takes place just before Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom, this 1,000-year reign where Jesus will rule and reign on the earth physically, bodily, personally from Jerusalem just like he promised to all the Old Testament prophets. That's uh, why the disciples were always asking the question, will you set up your kingdom? Here's what we need to know. Not everyone who lives through the tribulation period will make it into the millennial kingdom. Uh, there are those who do not pass Jesus' judgment. And Jesus says here, they will go into everlasting punishment. And they will not enter the millennial kingdom. He calls them goats, right? He calls them goats. And there's others who Jesus commends, and they will have eternal life. And they will also have uh, the privilege of entering into the millennial kingdom and live for a thousand years as, as, as mortals. And uh, the earth will be stored, be restored to its Eden-like state. And uh, people will have a thousand year lives as we just read and all those things. Satan will be bound during that time. And Jesus will dwell there bodily with them as their king. And he calls them his sheep. And so here's the question that I have for you. On what basis will Jesus judge these nations? On what basis will Jesus judge the nations of who can enter in to the tribute to the excuse me to the millennial kingdom and who can't? On what basis will he decide there's only two categories? You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either righteous or you're unrighteous. Uh, on what basis will Jesus judge them? Well, we got a little bit here in Matthew 24 that we'll come back to of, of how, he, how they treated people, right? Uh, but there's something that is given to us that isn't given to us here on how Jesus will judge them. Did you know that Jesus has three messages that he wants to give, three main messages that, that he's going to give to the world during the tribulation period? Did you know this? Three main messages Jesus will give to the world during the seven-year tribulation period when his wrath is poured out on the earth. They can be found in uh, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Flip over there real quick. Save your spot in Matthew. We'll come right back to it. Uh, Revelation, chapter 14. Flip there quickly, and when you get there, give me an amen. Well, that was five of you. <laughs> All right, if you're all there, give me a big amen. amen. All right, chapter 14, look at verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, say it with me, a lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Only now he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The lamb standing on Mount Zion, that's Israel. And it's going to go on and tell us about the 144,000 that he commissions on ministry. We're not going to look at that now for time's sake. But now look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Uh, the word angel in the Greek can be translated two ways, either as angel or as messenger. Uh, both are accurate and context determines. Here, uh, it's hard to know context because uh, we don't really know for sure. I personally believe it, this, these are not 
angels, but these are messengers that God uses, men uh, who God uses to communicate his messages. And look what he says. I saw another messenger flying in the midst of heaven using the airwaves and, you know, everything that we have today. And what does he do? He has the everlasting gospel. Underline that. The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. That God so loved the world that he became a man and he went to the cross on our place. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. He preaches the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue, that means language, and to every people, every ethnicity, saying, by the way, God loves every ethnic group. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come upon the earth, in other words, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. First message, what is it? The everlasting gospel and that God is your creator. Jesus is your creator. Worship him. That's one message that goes out. Next message, verse 8. Another angel or another messenger followed him saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. He's not stuttering. He mentions that twice. I'll tell you why. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication or adultery. What's the message? Babylon in the book of Revelation is not the literal place. It's used spiritually to refer to this fallen world system. And he says Babylon is fallen, is is fallen. In the book of Revelation, there are two Babylons. There's religious Babylon, which is transcendental meditation, Hinduism, Islam, Self-realization fellowship, uh, on and on and on I can go, all the false religions of the world. There's religious Babylon and there's commercial Babylon. Commercial Babylon? Yeah, you got to have these jeans to be cool. You need a Tesla. You got to have a Gucci bag. You can't buy those glasses. You got to have these glasses. Uh, Oh, you need a bigger house. Uh, Commercial Babylon. And here's what he's saying. It's fallen, it's fallen, it's all worthless, worthless. That's the, the message. Uh, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. This world system, the great city, has made all the nations drink of her wine. We've all been drunk with materialism and all the lust of the flesh. Uh, and it, it's, it's going to all be judged, that, that messenger says. The third message Jesus gives during the tribulation period is this one, verse 9. Then the third angel, or the third messenger, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, we've talked about, that he sets up the abomination that causes desolation, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, it's the mark of the beast. Uh, chapter 13 gives detail about it. 
It's a mark that at the time the Antichrist sets up this image and tells the whole world that he is God and does miracles so that everybody believes that he is that powerful. He says, now I've got this new economic system. It'll fix all the world problems and you have to receive this mark and without it you can't buy or sell anything. What's amazing is this was written 2,000 years ago at the time when they were using an abacus to do their math before a calculator and it predicted this age where you couldn't receive you couldn't buy or sell without this mark technology is already there computer scientists have already made a a new processor that is so thin it's thinner than a piece of paper it is so thin they can't even measure where the microns are inside the processor it's so thin it's so thin that physics will never allow it to go smaller we've reached the end of how small the computing that we do can be done and and uh it, the technology is already there and the Bible says that this, this leader, will, this world leader will come on the scene and say, hey, look, I've got a problem to fix, all the financial problems in the world, the devaluation of currencies, the inflations, all the, oh, i got a way to fix that. And he says, unless you have this mark, you can't buy or sell, you can't do anything, right? And here's what he's saying, this, this third message is saying, hey, anyone who receives this mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 10, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation or the cup of his wrath he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends how long? forever he always uses that word in speaking of hell forever and ever and they have no rest no peace, always in turmoil, day or night, that means all the time, who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. The three messages of Jesus during the tribulation period, the everlasting gospel, worship your creator. Don't be materialistic and fall to all the materialism of the world and do not take the mark of the beast. If you do, you cannot be saved. And Jesus will judge all of the nations based on what they did with their faith in these three messages. I say all these things because I want you to know these things are at, the, at hand even at the doors. And it is time for us to be telling our friends, our loved one, and our neighbors about what is coming in the pipeline. May we be wise. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, he's going to judge the nations by what they did with their faith, right? By how they, they, they did these things. What did they do with these messages they heard? Uh, the Antichrist is going to launch a full-scale genocide against the Jews, as I mentioned. And in an attempt to save their lives, guess what the Jews are going to do? They're in Israel. The Antichrist brings all-out genocide against them. What are the Jews going to do? What did they do in, in the Holocaust? They're going to scatter all over the earth. And Jesus says, as they scatter, Jesus is going to judge the nations by how they treated my people. Contextually, what we have here is what's happening at the end of time and how they treated him. They gave me drink. They took me in. They housed me. They hid me from the destruction that was at hand. 
James tells us that our faith is revealed by our actions. And that faith without actions is dead faith. We're not saved by our good deeds. But if we really are saved, it's going to affect the way we live our lives. And Jesus says, I'm going to judge all the nations by what they have done in faith. By not taking the mark. And by living out their faith by providing food and shelter and protection to those who are being persecuted. If you go to Israel, there's the Israel Holocaust Museum. It's magnificent. It moved me to tears. It's hard to fathom how many people six million is. And uh, the, the, the museum does a great job. Uh, when you come out of the museum, there's a pathway with trees on both sides. And the pathway is called the righteous among the nations. The righteous among the nations. It's so tied to what we're talking about right here. And on this pathway, a tree is planted for every person who took Jewish people into their homes or protected them in some way and saved lives, Jewish lives during the Holocaust. Uh, there's a tree planted there for Oscar Schindler. You've heard of Schindler's List, right? You know, there's a tree planted there for him with a plaque telling about what he did. And for each person on this uh, righteous among the nations pathway, there is a tree planted for these people. One of those trees is for Georges Loewinger. Uh, here's a picture of him here. He was a, a French soldier doing World War II. Uh, there he is right there, a little front row of the arrow. Just a, just a guy, just a guy. But you know what he did? He helped smuggle 350 children across the French border into Switzerland, and he saved the lives of 350 children. He just recently died. Guess how old he was? 108 years old. God blessed him with long life for what he did. Uh, he's got a tree out there of the, in the avenue of the righteous among the nations. Uh, there's a tree for Truus Wismuller. Uh, Truus Wismuller is pictured here. That's her kind of turning her head looking at all those kids. You know what all those kids are? All those kids are Jewish kids whose parents had already been taken into concentration camps. And Truus Wismuller risked her life and she saved 10,000 youth who lived in Vienna, and she took them to England during World War II. We've all heard of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom in 1940, when the Germans had invaded the Netherlands, hid the Jews in her house. Her family was a strong believer. Her dad was a strong believer. When the first Jew came to her father, he said, you are God's chosen people. And I know Genesis 12. Those who bless you will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. The nation Germany is going to be, is going to crumble. They're going to lose. And he took, said, yes, I'll help you. And they built this room in their house. Can you see that big cutout in that wall? 
That cutout in the wall wasn't there. That's exposed now to show us where they hid the Jews. Over to the left is this closet. Do you see that little hole on the bottom of the closet door? That's a trap door. You open that door up and they could get in there and they would be in that room back there where the cutout is and it just looked like wallpaper right there so that when the Gestapo came, all they saw was that wallpaper. And they put ventilation in there and everything and all kinds of Jews were saved from that family as they took them into their house. Corey Ten Boom uh, would also take these uh, ration cards that were given to every non-Jewish Dutch person so they could go buy groceries. You had to have these ration cards, and if you were a Jew, you couldn't eat. So she would steal and beg and borrow and find ration cards and distribute them to the Jewish people so they could eat. She later went on to be an overseer of the Dutch Underground Resistance Network, and she smuggled Jews to safe places all around the world. Uh, what, what ultimately happened to, the, to Corrie Ten Boom and to her family is the Gestapo came, and they arrested them and put them in prison. And Corrie Ten Boom was put in isolation, and her father, Casper, died while he was in prison there. And Corey Tim Boom was there in isolation, lice infested, bug infested, and there was a clerical error made, and she was released by a clerical error. And you know what happened two days after she was released? All of the women in her unit were sent to the gas chambers. God delivered her. Amazing. Amazing. Corey Ten Boom and her family, all these other people were common people. Corey Ten Boom and her family were watchmakers. They were just ordinary citizens who became extraordinary simply by their willingness to be available to God. Amazingly, I want you to take this in. Amazingly, there were millions of Christians who lived under the Nazi domination. And virtually all of those who helped save Jewish lives were Christian. But do you want to know how many Christians actually stood up and did something out of the millions that were there during the Nazi domination? Less than 1% of Christians did anything. This separation of sheep and goats at the end of the age might be a lot of goats and a few sheep. And Jesus is going to judge, by the way, at the Holocaust, how many Jews were, were killed? Six million. Six in the Bible is the number of imperfection. It is only a preview of what is coming. This next genocide will make the first Holocaust look like child's play. And Jesus will gather all the nations and he'll say, what did you do with the message I gave you? Did you believe the gospel? If you took the mark, you're separated as a goat. If you endured the hardship and you couldn't buy on Amazon, you couldn't buy on, go to the grocery store, you couldn't go to In-N-Out Burger because you didn't have the mark, but you believed, you're a sheep. Come on in, enter into the kingdom. And if you used whatever resources you had to save the Jewish people, he will say, well done, well done. You did that to me. You did that to me. Enter in to your glory. Last point I want to give you, I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up and we'll, we'll, we'll close. Uh, notice that Jesus 
does not judge the nation for the sins they committed. He judges the nation for the righteousness they omitted. In other words, he didn't judge them for sins. He judges the nation for sins of omission, not sins of commission, right? Uh, why didn't you help my people? And there's near and far application. Uh, contextually, this is literally dealing with the treatment of the Jews during the Holocaust at the end of the age uh, that happens at the tribulation period. But our personal application for us today is our faith is revealed and how freely and how generously we love others. Do you know what you have, church? You have a wealth of wisdom that you're holding in your lap. You have a cup of cold water, the living water, to a world that is dying of thirst. What are you doing with what you have? Go give the world a cup of cold water. Go take them out of darkness and bring to them the glorious light of the liberty of the gospel of the children of God. Go and take them and bring to them the good news that this world is not all there is to live for. Don't be depressed. You have something so much more to live for. Use your life to the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as much as you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Shall we stand? And shall we stand? Amen? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.